We're going to continue in our summer series in the book of Psalms. And I love the book of Psalms. It's such a a terrific place to go in Scripture. If you need a little bit of perspective, the Psalms can really be kind of a, a, a book of the Bible that just washes over you, brings healing to your emotions, it helps you process your emotions, and just the raw honesty and great trust in God that's, that's in the Psalms, it can help give you the perspective that you need in all sorts of difficulties and challenges. And as we've already thought about and heard about a little bit this week, it's been a challenging week for our nation. Deaths, shootings, protests, uh, confusion, pain. It's been a tough week. So where do we go to look for joy, to experience joy? Joy is sometimes this elusive uh, quality in our lives, although we all know that we should experience it. I was doing a little bit of thinking this week about times that I've had or experienced just a great sense of joy in my life, and a few things jumped to the forefront of my mind right away. First of all, I thought about when my wife Jen and I were, were dating, the first time that we looked at each other and said, I love you. That was a moment of joy. You know, we weren't even married yet. We were just zoning in on our relationship. To say those words brought a lot of joy to each of us. Also, the birth of each of our, our three daughters obviously brings a lot of joy into our lives. Great, great memories. And I think maybe just kind of the icing on the cake in terms of joy would be when my favorite hockey team, the Edmonton Oilers, won the Stanley Cup. I mean, this was 26 years ago. So, obviously, I'm not listing these in order of priority. The other ones are much more of a priority than that. But I felt a lot of joy 26 years ago when my team won. It was a good time. So, as you're thinking about your life, do you feel joyful? Is your life generally characterized by joy? Do you have a deep and steady sense of settled joy present in your life? Or is, or is your life all too often kind of go with the flow of circumstances? Where is your joy level at? Psalm 16 has some helpful perspective for us as we seek to be more joyful. Let's go there uh, together this morning. I invite you to go ahead and stand. We're going to read the entirety of Psalm 16. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand at this point, and Dexter and someone else maybe pass it a few Bibles. We're going to be in the Red Bible, page 458. There's a typo in your outline there. It's actually page 458 in the Red Bible. Psalm 16, 11 verses long. Let's go ahead and read that together this morning, starting with verse 1. Keep me safe, O God, for I have come to you for refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the names of their gods. Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. 
Amen. Go ahead and take a seat this morning. See, Psalm 16 gives voice to this great joy that David experienced in his life because he had this trust in God and he had a real relationship with God. Through the ups and downs, the challenges, he had a relationship with the living God. All of this in spite of the great dangers that he often faced as well, even the threat of death. See, David is truly standing firm in his relationship with the Lord. This is a psalm of confidence, and it's also indirectly messianic, and I'll explain what I mean by that a little bit later. But as we look at verse 1, David says, Keep me safe, O God, for I have come to you for refuge. For refuge. This is the only imperative statement in the entire psalm. It's an urgent prayer request. If we look at the context prior to that, in Psalm 15, David talks about who can even come into God's presence, into his sanctuary, and make requests. Now, having a sense that perhaps he's towards fitting that bill, he comes into God's presence to make an urgent request. Keep me safe. Keep me safe. Now, we can't be sure whether David wrote these words while he was imminently facing danger, if he was just talking about the general direction of his life, knowing some of the, some of the happenings in his life. But we do know this, that as humans, with human nature, we all instinctively try to protect ourselves from the threat of danger. David was no different. Think about it this way. We take a lot of very simple steps to have a, a life of security for ourselves. We wear a seatbelt so we don't perhaps have a major injury. We eat healthy to avoid disease. We might install a security system in our home. And we might even have a Facebook group that gives us notifications. Yesterday, spending some time with my family, my, my phone kind of lights up. Somebody in our neighborhood Facebook group gave us a, an indicator that there was a peculiar or strange man in our local park trying to sell items to children at the park. So as that was happening in real time, I got a notification on my phone. And people mobilized. People who knew they had children at that park went and got their children. A police officer went over and spoke with the individual. It was all resolved very quickly, all because of this, this real-time security measure of having a neighborhood online community. Super interesting when you think about it. So the fact is, we can take these efforts to preserve ourselves and live in security, but in spite of that, ultimately God holds everything together. Let's take a look at Colossians 1, verse 17. Look at what Colossians 1, 17 says. This is speaking of Jesus. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. He holds it all together. We take all these measures of seeking security and joy, but Jesus is the one that holds everything together. I want you to think for a minute. When you pray, when you make requests, or petitions to God, is it always out of a sense of desperation? Or do you have this comforting sense that in spite of your circumstances, in spite of the urgency that you feel, that Jesus really does hold everything together? See, Jesus is our eternal God who spoke the universe into existence by his power, and he's our ultimate protector and refuge. So in the midst of any trial or trying time, we can know God and we can know his faithfulness. We must take refuge in God because he's a loving God who's faithful to produce joy in our lives. Psalm 5, verse 11, speaking of joy, says this, But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing joyful praises forever. Spread your protection over them that all who love your name 
may be filled with joy. We need to take an honest look at ourselves as followers of Jesus. If we know Jesus, if we love Jesus, if we love his name, we want to be filled with joy. And that happens as we know Jesus and experience his faithfulness. Point number one in your outline. Joy comes from truly knowing and experiencing God's faithfulness. When you know and experience God, when you experience his faithfulness, when you can look back on your life, you can have a perspective that cultivates joy. See, in this first section of the psalm, David begins to reflect on what he knows to be true about the Lord and how it's comforted him. In fact, David does more than reflect in in Psalm 16. David declares who God is for him. As David declares and celebrates who God is, his petition in verse 1 is transformed to more of a certain confidence as this psalm progresses. A certain confidence as he declares. Now think about in your own life, how often do you go about declaring God's goodness in your life or in the life of your family? Do you declare God's goodness to your spouse, to your children, to your friends, in the workplace? Do you declare God's goodness in some way, shape, or form? I think we're often quick to declare other things. We declare our frustrations. We declare our disappointments. We declare our worries. Uh, Think about the atmosphere that exists in the workplace, in your home, among friends, all based on what you're declaring out of your mouth about reality. As followers of Jesus, when when we make a petition... The next step is to, not simply to wait, but to declare, to believe, to remember God's faithfulness in our lives. Verse 2, David declares that God is his master and the source of every good thing. Other translations say this, Apart from you, I have no good thing. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Psalm 16, verse 2. Think about that. We have a lot of things in our lives, don't we? Um, a lot of blessings, a lot of great things. Paul says these things are for our enjoyment, but that we also might be a blessing. So it's not bad to have things, to have blessings in our lives. But David says, apart from you, I have no good thing. Look, what, look at what C.S. Lewis says on this topic. He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. There's a lot of depth to that statement. So when you, if that is a truthful statement, as we can see it is from looking at Psalm 16.2, kind of a rephrasing of that, uh, do we really believe that? Do we really believe that if we have God and everything else, it's no more than he who has God only? Do we believe that apart from God, we have no good thing? Well, I'm, I'm not sure that our world believes that. It seems like the loudest voice in our society is that he who gains everything else doesn't even need God. Or perhaps at a minimum, it's that God can just be an add-on to the blessing that we already enjoy. The problem is the gospel isn't just something that you just add on to your life. The gospel changes everything. It changes everything. Thinking about the Belize team, it's, it's such a blessing that they could go cross-culturally. And whenever you go cross-culturally to be a blessing to someone else, it's never just a one-way street. It's not just the Belize team serving the Christian community there, reaching out. I think that they can attest, and they just did, 
that it's the other direction as well. The people that they're serving are a blessing to them. We serve out of, oftentimes out of having resources and having things. The people that we serve serve us out of humility, of their great humility and trust in God in spite of lacking the things that we take for granted. So there's always a two-way thing happening. So truly, apart from God, we have no good thing. It's all about Jesus. Think about Matthew 13. There's this great parable about the pearl. It says this, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. He sold everything for that pearl. Apart from you, I have no good thing. David goes on to say this in verses 3 and following. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the names of their gods. Last week, Pastor Brian talked a little bit about the company you keep and how that doesn't mean that you necessarily place yourself in continual solitude to avoid every possible person who's committing some type of sin. Instead, we simply put God at the center of everything, including our relationships. In Luke 5, we see Jesus spending time with sinners because he loved them and he wanted them to come to repentance. And we need to do the same thing. You see, if we don't have friends who are unbelievers, we have to wonder if we're doing all we can to point people to Christ. And I don't mean this as a, as a statement of judgment or being overly harsh, but if we're followers of Jesus and Jesus had friends who were sinners and needed to come to repentance and we're Christ's ambassadors, we need to have friends who are apart from Christ as well. So I encourage you to take a look at how you can uh, reach out, how you can have a, a, a schedule, a lifestyle where you're not just simply gathering seven days a week with those that call in the name of the Lord, but you're making an impact, that you're, you're rubbing off on people. We have Christ living in us. We have the power to do that. Now, while saying that, we have to be careful not to be enticed into pursuing godless lifestyles as we reach out to people. Verse 4 says this, Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. We all know, looking back on our lives from taking missteps or maybe living a life apart from Christ and then putting our faith in Christ, we know that chasing after other gods multiplies trouble in our, in our lives. And I just want to encourage you this morning, if your past was um, challenging in some ways and you feel like you're still kind of cleaning up the mess from that time where you were chasing after things other than Christ, Continue on. Sometimes things get more difficult before they become easier. Don't be discouraged if you're new to the faith and you're coming to Christ and you thought, wait a minute, I thought coming to Christ meant that everything got better in my life. Well, sometimes as you take a stand for Jesus, it takes a while until the thing, until every aspect of your life lines up. People aren't necessarily happy. The enemy's not happy. But Jesus is going to empower you to keep going in the right direction. I want to encourage all of us to keep taking steps to rebuild our lives on the godly foundation, whether that's regaining the trust of your family, rebuilding your marriage, choosing to have integrity in the business place, in the workplace. 
Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods, but we chase after the one true God. David says that the Lord is his true priority. Verses 5 and following. You alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The land that you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. A wonderful inheritance. In the context here, the idea is that God had apportioned the land to the twelve tribes of Israel following the conquest of Canaan. So David sees that as a wonderful thing, but he also realizes that having the Lord as his inheritance is far better than even the choicest piece of land that he could have. David's joy is ultimately found in God alone. In God alone. Something that I think uh, brings me a little bit of joy from time to time is eating some candy. Do you guys like candy? I've got a picture here of uh, some candy. You may not recognize this type of candy. Um, some of you might. I think it's no secret that I'm, I was born and raised in Canada. We have a, a good flow of Canadian visitors coming to our home throughout the year. My parents come at least twice a year. I've got four siblings. They make it down every once in a while. I've got friends constantly making the trek to Disneyland with their Canadian kids. And they're stopping in, and every time we have a visitor, they load us up with this Canadian candy. By the way, we don't call it candy bars in Canada. We call it chocolate bars. So these are some great, tasty treats. I'm ashamed to say the last time we had a visitor, we got 120 candy bars. You know, the snack size, the small ones. And uh, did not last very long, even though we gave some away. So that's, that's a tough one. But here's the thing with candy. We like to say in our house, no candy before dinner. Why do we say that? Well, first of all, we have three children. Candy gives you a sugar buzz, and then you don't feel hungry. And candy can also mask... The fact that your body needs proteins and vitamins, the sugar buzz makes you think that you don't need the real nutrients that you need and you're just flying high. Now, in our own lives, maybe candy's not our problem, but we have other things that act like spiritual sugar in our lives. Sex, power, money, success, and dare I even say favorable circumstances and comfort in our society and culture. These things act like spiritual sugar in our lives so that we can't discern our need for God only. Now it's great to know that we have a relationship with God and that our future is secure in Christ, but do we base our day-to-day joy on these spiritual sugar substitutes, on circumstances, or do we base our day-to-day joy on, on Christ, on God himself? See, for David... His cup of blessing, his inheritance, his joy was found solely in God. Point number two in your outline. Joy comes from keeping our eyes fixed on the Lord and making him our treasure. Making him our treasure. We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. God is our treasure. Verse seven and following. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken for he is right beside me. Right beside me. Other translations say, Always at my right hand. It's messianic imagery there as well. Notice that David says, I will bless the Lord. When you bless the Lord, it means that you're speaking well of him. Therefore, you're praising God. Though in the Hebrew, this is a deeper connotation than simply praise. From, the, from the, your inmost parts, you're blessing, you're longing for, you're, you're experiencing the truth that God is what you need. You're blessing the Lord. You see, God's not a genie. He's not simply um, a God that we suddenly turn to in a crisis 
or an emergency. Unfortunately, if we're honest, we've treated God like that at some point in our lives. I've got a fancy term for you. You may have heard of this. The term is moralistic therapeutic deism. Moralistic therapeutic deism. Now, what this term means is uh, people that subscribe to this way of thinking in our society, they view, they view God as following. God exists and watches over the earth. God wants people to be good, nice, and fair. And that this is taught by most of the major religions. That's what people believe. The central goal of life is to be happy and feel good about oneself. God is not involved in our lives unless we have a problem and then we need him. And that good people go to heaven when they die. So you may recall, you know, a couple decades ago, we've got fantastic statistics about how many Christ followers there are in our nation. And I have to wonder sometimes how many people simply were in this camp, this kind of God is my personal genie camp. Um, Thinking of God this way uh, is not finding your joy in God. It's about finding your own personal happiness in a God who serves you. This is not biblical joy. Biblical joy is centered in blessing the Lord and knowing He's always with us and always involved in our lives. See, God is with us and He's instructing us. Notice verse 7. It says, Even at night, my heart instructs me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. This isn't kind of like a Disney, a Walt Disney, follow your heart type of instruction. In the context, we see that God is impressing guidance upon our heart. Has anybody had like a moment of clarity in the middle of the night? I usually sleep pretty soundly, but it's weird. There's been a few times in my life where I I flat out wake up in the middle of the night and I have a moment of clarity. God is instructing me. Something that I've been praying about or thinking about, it's been in my subconscious, it's been hanging there, it's been on my prayer request list for a long time, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, a moment of clarity. David says, even at night, my heart instructs me. Verse 8, I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. You see, as a follower of the true God, David reached his firm footing, this loyalty to God, by knowing God and knowing that God was with him. He kept his eyes fixed upon the Lord, and whenever bad circumstances or distress would come his way, he believed that God would be there, that God was right beside him to bring him through it. See, in joy, David could bless the Lord and experience a firm foundation. David didn't see his joy as being in God's gifts, but in God himself. Uh, Any of you have any pet peeves? Be careful with that cord. One of my pet peeves would be carrying around a big, fat wallet. So I don't carry a wallet. In fact, I've kind of transitioned to, uh, I used to have a money clip. Now I just have a binder clip. Put a few cards in here, some cash, and this is my chosen way to carry, you know, the cards that matter uh, in my wallet. Now let's suppose that I'm carrying around this binder clip with my ID, some cash, and uh, somewhere during the connection time this morning, I drop $10, and it's gone. What am I going to do? Am I going to get all uptight? Am I going to get upset? Am I going to find... Uh, some local law enforcement that may be in our congregation and ask them to open up an investigation right then and there and start uh, looking for witnesses and, you know, just trying to at all get this money back for me. Am I going to do that or am I going to shrug? What am I going to do? Well, if I'm a billionaire, of course, I'm not going to do anything, right? 
let's say I'm a billionaire and this happens. I'm just going to shrug it off. No big deal. I lost $10. So what? Now think about our own lives. This week, somebody is going to criticize you. Maybe you're going to make a purchase or invest in something. It's not going to pan out. Something you had your heart set on is not going to happen. Now let's be honest. These are real losses that we experience. And they can affect our joy. So if you're a Christian, what are you going to do? Is this setback going to take the joy out of your life? Are you going to shake your fist at God? Are you going to have sleepless nights because your investment tanked? Are you going to have a lot of frustration? If so, could it be that we don't truly understand how rich we are spiritually? If we're constantly lashing out against people, if our feelings are hurt, you might call it a lack of self-control or lack of self-esteem, but more accurately, we've probably lost touch with our identity in Christ. See, as Christians, we're spiritual billionaires, and we often wring our hands over losing $10. Where is our joy found? What affects our joy? We need to declare God's goodness and his faithfulness in our lives. Verse 9, No wonder my heart is glad, And I rejoice. My body rests in safety. David, in tremendous trials, he can say his heart is glad and his body is resting. Now, I mentioned earlier that Psalm 16 was a psalm of confidence, but it's also messianic. It points to Jesus. Let me explain. The following verses read as follows, verses 10 and following. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. You see, God may have answered David's request in verse 1. He may have kept him safe for a time, extended his life, saved him from a certain threat. But ultimately, these verses are a literal fulfillment, or find their literal fulfillment in Jesus Christ. See, David had a glimpse that something else was happening here, a different type of of kingdom reign was coming. Let's take a look at what the prophet Nathan says to David in 2 Samuel verses 7. This is on the screen. David knew something was happening. This is what the prophet says to, to David. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood. I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. See, David knew from God's word that he would die, that he would lie in the grave with his fathers, but that God would set a future descendant on his throne. This descendant was not going to be one of a succession of kings that goes on and on and on, but with this king, all succession would stop. This is a kingdom without an end. It would be an eternal kingdom. Now, in New Testament times, the apostles had the privilege to look back into the Old Testament and they saw these many prophecies and signs and foreshadowings and predictions based on Jesus Christ. See, the prophets longed to understand this. The angels longed. But the apostles could connect the dots. So we can see how Peter and Paul respond to this passage in Psalm 16 in the New Testament. Let's look at Peter's sermon on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, also on the screen. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him an oath, on oath, that he would 
place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. So Peter is connecting the dots, and for us what this means is that it's all about Jesus. Our joy is secure because Jesus has in fact risen from the grave. See, in David's case, God delivered him by postponing his death, but in Jesus' case, he did it by resurrecting him. So here's the, the crux of the whole discussion for us. The way of life, the way of joy, the way of pleasures of living with God forever, these blessings, these joys, these are all available because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Point number three, joy, both present and eternal, is available in Christ. It's available in Christ. When we have a request for God, let's remember to declare His faithfulness in our lives. Let's bless and praise His name. Let's receive His instruction. Let's live in confidence and peace and rest in the joy of God because of Jesus' victory. God's victory best demonstrates how we can experience joy by trusting in Jesus. So as we, as we close this morning, think about where is your joy found at this moment in your life? Are you looking to Jesus? Are you looking to circumstances? For those of you that maybe don't know Jesus in a personal way, I'd like to encourage you, if you'd like to chat, I'd be available after the service, Pastor Brian as well. Um, choosing to follow Jesus is changing your priorities. He becomes your number one priority. It's not always easy. But he offers life now and life forever. He can take away the pain and the hurt that sin causes in your heart. He can give you freedom. So if you'd like to do that today, I invite you to come talk to me after the service. Would you please join me as we pray and close this morning? Father, we praise you that you are always with us, God, that apart from you, we have nothing, God. We truly look to you for joy, for joy in our own lives, for joy for our family, Joy for this church, joy for the workplace. God, would you pour into us joy that is both present and eternal because it's available in Jesus Christ. Jesus, we give you all the glory this morning. We submit our lives to you. Would you lead us now? In your name we pray. Amen.